AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I've loved jazz ever since I was a little boy. And part of what makes it so unique is that it's like any other form of music. There is a tune you have to know, a key you've got to play it in, a chord structure you have to follow. But to be really faithful to jazz, you have to both stay within those parameters and make things up a little as you go along. To make the most of a song, you've got to both play it and create out of it. So why am I telling you this? I've been thinking about that a lot over the last several months as we've been living through these unprecedented times. We've all been forced to improvise. But if we can do it in harmony with one another, we have the chance to reimagine what our entire society looks like and how it operates and come out on the other side of this as a more inclusive, kinder, equitable, and successful nation. If there's no better art form to explain these times than jazz, then I'm very lucky to have with me today one of the greatest jazz musicians of all time, my longtime friend, Wenton Marsalis. <laughs> Wenton is arguably the greatest trumpeter alive. He's won nine Grammys. He's the only artist ever to win Grammys in the same year for both jazz and classical records. And he did it twice in his early 20s. In 1997, he became the first jazz musician to receive the Pulitzer Prize for Music. He's received both the National Medal of Arts and the National Humanities Medal. 
and performed for Hillary and me at the White House at one of our national millennium events with Marion McPartland. The main guest was President Václav Havel of the Czech Republic. He led perhaps the only peaceful revolution in the world powered by jazz. They met in the jazz clubs. As co-founder of Jazz at the Lincoln Center, Wenton's helped to grow the global jazz community through performance, advocacy, and education. He's a passionate champion of equality and social justice, constantly using his gifts to celebrate our common humanity and to show us what we can do if we work together. That's true more than anything else in two of his most recent works, The Democracy Suite and The Ever-Funky Lowdown. I've been blessed to know Wenton for more than 25 years now, and I've had a lot of chances to listen to and to learn from him. I come away from every performance or conversation knowing I have learned from listening and knowing now I have a deeper appreciation for jazz, for America, for the human experience, and for Wenton Marsalis. I'm very excited to talk to him now. Wenton, welcome. Yes, sir. It's, it's a, a great uh, pleasure and honor, of course, to sit down and talk with you, as it always is. So thank you for that, that very flowery introduction and all, all, those, all those kind accolades. Thank you. I remember once uh, I was talking to you on the phone and I asked you uh, how much of your great gift was God-given and how much was his work. And I told you a story about <clears throat> uh, how I decided not to become a musician. When I was 16, I looked in the mirror and I said, I'm happier playing my saxophone than anything I've ever done. But no matter how hard I work, I'll never be as good as Coltrane. And uh, you said something to me about Coltrane. I'll never forget. You said, yeah, that's true. But he said, don't underestimate hard work. <laughs> and you sent me a tape of Coltrane playing at age 17. You remember that? Yeah, I remember you said, that. You said he's flat half the time. <laughs> right. and, and I listened to you, and I realized that was true, and how much better he got the longer he lived. And then I realized that at 17 and flat, he was better than I ever thought, thought about being. <laughs> I love that you read that right, tape of him in the Navy. That's right. When he's, I think he, yeah, he might 17 or 19, yeah. Well, you know, we like to we like to joke, but I always love the fact that you uh, you played and you brought that consciousness to people, you know? And I think that that's one thing that's, been, that's truly been lost in our political discourse, looking at all the debates, everything that's going on, and you take the, pick the years you want, that the power of our arts and the American arts to heal us, to bring us together, the virtuosity of the artists, the kind of hipness and the soulfulness of a Coltrane. None of us are going to play like Train. I mean, you know, Train was, was, was what Train was. But the fact that we know John Coltrane and we know what a love supreme is and we know what jazz is, it was always kind of a binding thing. Like, yes, Coltrane had prodigious talent, but he, didn't, he wasn't like Charlie Parker. And he felt like he had no talent. And yes, Coltrane worked his behind off and he became much, much better as the years passed. Those two things are always true about him. And it was also true as it doesn't mean you will practice and be as great as him in terms of whatever you're aspiring to. But in jazz, you can achieve the sound of your person. Nothing keeps you from achieving that. It just depends on what your definition of virtuosity is. 
And I know the things you learned just from being a jazz musician, once you were able to apply them to all the other things that you knew, it just made you so much stronger in dealing with other people because jazz is a very empathetic music. We've often talked about how jazz is more than just America's original unique art form, but really it's the music of democracy at its best. And as you've said, part of America's mythology. At what point in your career did you think about the connection of jazz to democracy? And what prompted you to do it? I think early on, because I grew up with a jazz musician and always hearing my father and the, the other musicians talk about America and also my, my father's viewpoint. He was always in the barbershop arguing against uh, points of view that we all had in the 70s. That was the black power time and the, the kind of first time black people had a voice and the younger people, we had our afros and our, our platform shoes and all the things that we had. And we were all talking in the same way that we had been talked to. And my father was always so, so even-minded. At that time, of course, it was an embarrassment to me. But he was always uh, speaking for, uh, against racism, uh, against retaliation, against people. He always had a very deep spiritual connection to the human condition as a whole. He always was talking about larger thoughts. And that was not what we were thinking about. So I always connected jazz to democracy through him and the other jazz musicians. What do you make of this last election? Is it an affirmation of our common humanity or a reaffirmation of our deep divisions? <laughs> you know, I think it is both. It ties into what we were talking about with jazz because it, it just so, so happens that the fact that we have the type of diversity we have in our democracy uh, is making it hard to undermine the will of the voter. And we have that with, with in jazz bands, with an individual who is improvising with the collective of the group, playing a written part or improvising. A lot of the stuff we do is by choice. The rhythm section is considered to be the back line and the, the horns are called the front line, but the rhythm section defines the music. So we have horn players versus the rhythm section versus us as a group. And we find that dynamic playing out. Now it's interesting that the states are now, regardless of party, called upon to, to be loyal to government regardless of party. And that has a lot in common with jazz because a single soloist can stand up and play 30 minutes, a solo themselves. And uh, the band has to, has to police what's going on. It has to choose, hey, it's, it's six of us up here. You can't play a 30 minute solo. If you're a drummer, you're, you, okay, you have the loudest instrument, but no one can hear anything but drums. So we see, I know I'm giving you kind of long, long answer, but this election and all of this is so, so, so full of implication. Because as you know, a democracy is not a given in the world. No, and they're very hard to preserve. Ours has been around a long time. Right. And uh, people take a lot of things for granted once it's been around a long time. And so everybody nibbles around the edges to take advantage of getting what they want right. until pretty soon the foundations are weakened. I think that's what's happened to us. But this could be a strengthening. But I, One of the things I liked about Ever Funky Lowdown is that you basically talk about how this divisiveness, this us and them world is kind of like a drug. You, uh, you get addicted to it. You <laughs> got to be against something and somebody. And reconciliation takes is harder work. I, I remember uh, I spent $3 billion of the American people's tax money to sequence the human genome. 
And the most important thing we learn from a political and social point of view is that we're all 99.5% the same. <laughs> but we spend 99.5% of our time focusing on the half a percent. Now, to turn everything into a zero-sum game is a bad way to run a railroad right. or a country. And I see you trying to be a force for reconciliation. And I think that we live in a time where, uh, in different ways, almost all of us are being programmed right. for division. Right. And, you know, when you look at the religious traditions, if we look in the Judeo-Christian tradition of what the devil does, the devil symbolically simplifies. So for those who may not believe in, in, in that religion or, or, or have a different belief system, it's a simplification to take all nuances out and give you a non-choice choice. And then the ever funky lowdown, that's what Mr. Game does. He points out that there are others. Then he tells you what's wrong with them. I think I heard that they've been committing nefarious crimes and they don't believe in God. Then he says, you have to beat them. We must strike first to prevent what they may be trying to do to us and to save them. And the ever funky lowdown is when you've beaten them, he says, losers want to be winners. He speaks in the terms of losers and winners. And then what the losers have to do is they have to accommodate the winner's vision of them. Let me take you back to the schoolyard. Most kids just give in and follow the bully, but a few back away threatening some type of retaliation. Whether subservient or resistant, each will adjust their philosophy to accommodate defeat. That's the illusion of choice. <laughs> the old binary hustle. Tutsi versus Hutu. God-fearing versus heathens. Democrats versus Republicans. Yes, there are two sides to every coin, but it's still the same coin. Losers have two choices. Entertain us by playing out our vision of them as meek, emasculated gestures, or excite us, playing out our vision of them as dangerous, captured savages. It's much more provocative when you, when you begin to attack uh, people or attack something. But still, if you take the most brilliant of all of us, we still don't know anything in relation to what there is to be known because we can't rise above whatever our perspective may happen to be. The problem of human living requires more than the vision of a single person, whoever that person is. We say in our trumpet section, there's four of us, and one of our trumpet players, we were going to play a party, it was written for me, but he would have been much better playing it. His name is Marcus Printup. So when I said, I think Printup would play this part much better, we all knew he would, so the cats in the band all started laughing. Oh, give it to Printup. You scared to play your part. You scared to play the part. But, and Printup said, well, it's four of us back here. And we all have different things we do. But if you put the four of us together, we make one hell of a trumpet player. So it's like to, to conceive of the talent that we have in the world or in the United States of America, that we only have a vision of how to keep other people down or beat up on people who don't have agency. And people with the most agency in the society spend a lot of their time figuring out how to how to work on a sophisticated kleptocracy. And that's on both sides of the coin instead of figuring out how to free the potential and all the power we have in bringing us together and using our intellectual firepower, spiritual firepower, and the best of our tradition, because the best of our tradition is us coming together. We should never forget even something as divisive as race relations. And you know, I'm a Southerner. I grew up with great uh, prejudice and ignorance and in segregation. I don't play around with it. I never joke or act like it wasn't for real. It's for real. And it was for real. But when I look through my own history, 
can I honestly say I didn't have white Americans that said, uh, we, I'm with you in this struggle. And I think that our mythology hurts us as a nation because whenever there's something negative, it's picked upon and it's spread. And the, the legacy of success that we've had has to be used to combat all of the many failures we've had. Harmony. That's right. Harmony. My little brother asked me, what is the opposite of disharmony? And I said, unison. Well, so we started to laugh. We started to laugh about it because, because, because disharmony and chaos, when you talk about disharmony and chaos, uh, the, the op, you, you would think that the opposite of it is harmony, but actually the opposite of it is, is unison because everybody playing the same thing. That's also what you do not want. You don't want everybody having the same opinion. You want to be forced to harmonize with people, to make choices, to go in and out. And harmony is one of the greatest uh, arts of music. I once asked Leonard Bernstein about harmony. I'd read his, his class on harmony of the young people's concert. He said, man, that's the most difficult thing to, to describe. He said, because harmony is like a conversation in which a person is the center of the conversation in one moment and their point of view is absolutely of no interest. They have to become active as listeners. He says, so in <laughs> harmony, a progression, you know, at one point, a, a note C may be the root of the chord and the most important thing. He said, but the very next second, that may be a, a, a flat 13 or some upper extension of the, of the harmony. And then on the next, it may be a note that does not even sound. So it's, it's an art that is vertical. It lays out in blocks and it's horizontal. It lays out in time. So I think, uh, yeah, what you're saying about harmony, it's, it's a very complex thing to teach and to understand. More with my guest, Wenton Marsalis, after this. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Let me ask you about another recent piece you did, uh, Democracy Suite. Uh, what did you want the message to be? And if a jazz-loving policeman in New York heard it, how would you like him to feel? Um, I would like him to feel that he's a part of a great ongoing process that needs his industry and his energy to take us to a higher and better place that he may want to go in. One of my best friends in the world was a Chicago city policeman in West Chicago. I was the best man in his wedding, Officer Tony Parker. And uh, we were good friends. We are good friends and we'll, we'll be good friends for life. And we've argued the, the kind of police abuse and the arguing and all the stuff that goes on. And I think that uh, it's, it's important for us to understand that corruption exists everywhere in the system. And, and for us to not give people who are not corrupt put them in a place where they have to co-sign corruption, but also to not act like we don't know that there is corruption. So I think in the democracy suite, I deal with all things that we all have dealt with in this time. Spotlight on one of the movements in the democracy suite, uh, that dance we do, that you know we love to do. And that's about all the different protests around the world where people found a solidarity with, with Breonna Taylor or, or George Floyd. They found that because they, people everywhere in the world can, can identify with not having agency and not having power and being abused by a, an individual or group that does have power. So I, I try to not simplify about things into black-white issues or right-wrong issues, but I try to try to bring nuance in, in that way to, to the dance we do, even in the course of protesting, people hitting tambourines, playing grooves, singing infectious songs, and it does not make the song less serious or less for real. And keeping their slogans, Black Lives Matter, is not less real than uh, We Shall Overcome, the one kind of somber 
movement. It's not even somber. It's called Deeper Than Dreams. And it's about all of us who lost loved ones during this period that you didn't get a chance to say goodbye to your loved one. That transcends all politics and all other things. So I, I tell my friends sometimes, they say, man, I, I, you know, I can't sleep at night. I say, well, that's the old folks coming to you. They're coming to you because they, they, y'all have to heal in a space that's deeper than dreams. You lost your dad earlier this year to COVID. Yeah. Uh, he had a good long life and left a remarkable legacy in you and his other sons. From the first time I ever heard about you or listened to your brother Branford play, or, I've always been fascinated by your family story and the role your father played. And the letter you wrote in tribute to him was one of the most moving things I think I ever read. And all the more powerful for saying that your hurt was no more valid or stronger than that of so many others who lost people, which I think your dad also said not long before he died. Right. And yeah, that so was his thing. Tell us about him and what impact he had on your growing up and on your life and what impact his loss has had on what you do now. Well, you know, for, uh, I appreciate your, your, your comments on him. I mean, he was my man. You know, I went from the time I was born, it's like I hung with him. And it was not glamorous. Like, he was just, he was a guy. My father was not a a, a, a physical guy, heroic, wanting to, whatever, strike, want to strike people or be, uh, he was a very philosophical person who, who, when he was growing up, he told me he had gotten bullied by people because that wasn't his personality. And I learned more about what it meant to be a human being, just watching him. He talked to everybody the same. If he had the chance to meet you, he would be honored. He would be just as respectful as he would with a homeless person in the street. He would talk to homeless cats and come back, man, you, this cat had an interesting story. You see, he used to be an architect. <laughs> he could go into a whole thing that he had talked about. And I saw my father play in empty clubs for, for the, the, the 17 years I lived with him. I saw him be in situations that would humiliate any person. <laughs> he handled it all with grace and sophistication. He studied, he practiced, he taught. He was a person of the community. He played for no people. He played just as hard to an empty room as he would play for people. I always tell the one story. I never really liked jazz growing up. I was just always, I liked to be in clubs and hear older people down on their luck, hear the stuff they talked about, all the kind of nasty talk and things that went on. So I always loved being in that environment. And I was fortunate to be in the environment because I was with him. I knew how to be quiet, how to just be in my space, but I, I loved it. I did not like the music that much. When I started to get into the music, I was 11 or going into being 12. And he played in a club called Lou and Charlie's and it was late at night. He closed the club up. There was nobody in this club but one man who was drunk. And I went to my father and I said, man, let's go. You know, it's two o'clock. It's only me and you. Let, let's let, let this guy here. He was drunk. And my, we looked out into the club, empty club, nobody in it. My father playing the piano. <laughs> my father looks at me. 
And he, he says, man, this gig ends at 2.30. <laughs> man. Let's get this guy out of here and close up. Charlie's the old club owner. Charlie is, is, is gone. Let's, let's go home. We had a 30-minute drive home. My daddy told me, man, sit your ass down and listen to some music for a change. <laughs> so it actually was, it was actually funny because it's only me and him. So I actually sat down. And for all the years of being in a club, then I guess since I was two years old, I've been in clubs. It's the first time I really just really listened to him playing. Now, of course, I grew up hearing him practice, so his sound was a part of my life. But I looked around that club, and I thought, what makes a person do what this man is doing? Playing for no people. At 2 in the morning. And, uh, you know, that, that shaped my life. Like, just uh, the integrity he showed. And he played a pile of piano in that 30 minutes. And then I said to myself, I wonder if I could learn how to play like him. Because I mainly teased him a lot because he was such a serious man. I was always joking with him. Even the last conversation I had with him before he, before he went to the hospital and then he, he died a few days after that. Uh, I was teasing and messing with him and always kind of joking, joking with him that I could play better than him. Piano. I played my piano and played some runs, I, you know. So I'm playing some chords like him. This is his favorite chord. He would play this big 6-9 chord. So he he always played, and he go. He always played those kind of little phrases. I would start playing them and say, "Man, you better look out! I'm coming for you." So, uh, yeah, I remember, I remember that night, and so many other things. My daddy was so fair with people, and he had such integrity uh, about things you couldn't buy him out. He didn't. I remember when I made a little money. I was 21 or 22. I said, "Man, let me get you a house." He said, "Man, you you an athlete." I don't need you to get me a house. I'm comfortable in my own house. <laughs> you know, so he he was just philosophically, if you were if you acted small or you did something that was small, he would call you on it. He hated for you to call people them. He said, Who is they, man? Who is they? That's why I wrote a movement in the Ever Funky Lowdown called They. Yep. Because he tell me who they are. Do you know them? What's their name? And so many other things I, I could tell you. I mean, I just he was he was such a uh, he was such a a, a big person. I remember once, I'm going to just tell you this one last story to just about who he was. When I first came to New York, I started to get a lot of publicity and I talked a lot. So the older musicians really didn't like me. And I was always talking about the integrity of music and all these things that were far beyond what my playing earned me the right to talk about. From a philosophical standpoint, what I was saying was not inaccurate, but I shouldn't have been saying it, you know. And I went back to New Orleans to play a gig and my father always let me sit in with him. And in this gig, he, did, he didn't call me up on the bandstand. So the whole time I was standing there, man, I was, I was getting, I said, he's just like these other musicians in New York. Then finally on the last tune, he brought me up on the bandstand. I was dealing with all kind of emotion and angry at him that he was mad because I had become successful. And uh, so I played. And as we were walking off the bandstand, thinking all the stuff I was thinking, my father put his arm around me and he said, man, I'm sorry about my rhythm section. I really didn't want to call you up at all. <laughs> so I started laughing. I told him, I said, man, I was thinking so many small thoughts. And he just looked at me and shook his head. He said, boy, this cat. So, you know, he was, yeah, he was, he was, he was a good person. I mean, he had a good heart and a good, good feeling to him. We'll be right back.
Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Bill Clinton. I hope you're enjoying Why Am I Telling You This? After leaving the White House, I wanted to keep working on issues I cared about where I believed I could still make a difference and help a lot of people. I started the Clinton Foundation on the belief that everyone deserves a chance to succeed. Everyone has a responsibility to act, and we all do better when we work together. In the 20 years since the foundation first opened its doors in Harlem, we've brought people together across traditional divides to address some of the most complex and pressing challenges of our time. From our earliest efforts to expand access to life-saving HIV-AIDS medications for millions of people around the globe and promote healthy eating and physical activity in American schools, to our programs helping Puerto Rico and our Caribbean neighbors rebuild from natural disasters and prepare for the intensifying impacts of climate change, to distributing resources for parents and caregivers to promote early learning and school readiness, and providing meals and essential items for vulnerable populations in and around Little Rock, The Clinton Foundation is still putting people first and creating a culture of possibility. We couldn't do any of it without your support. I hope you'll take a moment to share your thoughts and ideas with us and learn more about our work by visiting www.clintonfoundation.org slash podcast. 
Thank you. You know, one of the things that I always liked you did was your interest in autism. Hillary was on the Autism Caucus in the Senate. And I remember when she ran for president in 2008, we'd do these front porch rallies, you know, when there'd be people there. Maybe mm-hmm. there's 50 people, maybe there's 300. Mm-hmm. I would always mention autism and how she was the first person ever to have a position on autism. Right. And I promise you, there was not one single solitary event I ever did, not one, where someone didn't mention to me after when I was shaking hands, you know, my sister has it, I have a child with it. Right. Uh, Here's my—the spectrum is very broad. Here's my 15-year-old who's got autism and he's running for class president. I mean, I think that it's kind of like this coronavirus, you know, when that virus goes chasing you— your Republican or Democrat credentials don't keep it out. And that's the way autism is. And when (laughs) you know because you've got it in your family, Mm -hmm. you've got to be pretty flexible in how you deal with it. I think think we, we, so much of the human condition unifies us. You know, childbirth, adolescence, death, loss, all these things, we all are experiencing. Any health crisis, everybody is having it if you have it. You have a heart condition. A lot of people have heart conditions. Mental conditions, people have it. And uh, I learned so much from having a brother that was severely autistic growing up, just to see kind of the impact on the family and not knowing what, then we didn't know what it was. Even to describe somebody in my neighborhood what autism was, they thought we were saying artistic. They said, man, that's great. You know, what, what, what is his, what is he, is he a painter or what? Is, say, no, autism, what is that? So uh, I think... Yeah, and I, and I also agree with you. The coronavirus can be a great rallying cry. And I think the last movement of the democracy suite, I wrote a piece called That's When All We'll See. And what it's about is that you see when our country, after 9-11, the things people did to come together. After the the uh, Katrina, I thought that was a fantastic national story. Yes, there's a lot of governmental ineptitude. There was a lot of things to complain about, corruption, stealing. It always goes on. But when you look at what the citizens of the United States of America did for citizens of New Orleans, all up and down this country, it's an unbelievable national success story. But it remains in national memory as something that left a bad taste. Uh, you know, of course, the city made decisions it made that were not intelligent decisions. But the feeling of the people that came out in that time, being a New Orleanian, going around asking people for help for New Orleans, there was an unbelievable outpouring of love and of citizenship and of help that was very tangible to hundreds of thousands of people. And, and that's when all we'll see says we have so many points of connection and we continue to override those instances to find a way to hate each other and to continue the legacy of hatred and to allow leaders to drag us down that road. And not just leaders, political leaders, anyone who is willing to exploit a populace for some type of gain and agency. It's a master's in a slave narrative and a master slave mythology that only a handful of people can have agency and the rest of y'all, y'all better work for us and just be exploited. When in actuality, 
Everything great in the world is showing us that we live in an unbelievable ball of creativity, that we can create more and more and more increase as we free more and more and more creative people. And the arts is the best place to begin to adjust your understanding of, of a common humanity. And we as Americans, for some reason, have never been able to find or locate the arts in a, in a position uh, on our national radar, not even an unimportant position, let alone the position of prominence it needs to occupy for us to do what we need to do to get the nourishment that it most clearly provides. Let me ask you, uh, before we finish, uh, because a lot of people will be listening to this who maybe never been to New Orleans, and it's one of my favorite places on earth, and I was honored to work for years on in the aftermath of Katrina to try to help the whole Gulf Coast, but especially the Crescent City to recover. If you were talking to a total stranger who'd never been out of Alaska (laughs) about what you got out of being born in and growing up around there and in that culture, what would you say to them? Um, I would say a sing-song way of approaching bad things that happen and a full culture. Because it's, it's a lot of some soulful people in Alaska, too. Now, I've been, I played there. <laughs> I, played, I played up in old, old Alaska. But we have a full culture. We have our own art. We have our own music. We have our own architecture. We have our own stories. We have our own. And it's sing-songy. Like, so if you're not against a sing, a sing-song, skip a dance, a way to approach the tragedies of life, when you, when you, you understand how much, what, what type of armor and shield that is. I remember you and I talked. You were president then. And you told me, I don't know if you can remember this. You said, man, <laughs> I just came back from, from New Orleans and Bourbon Street. Man, that was some of the worst music I ever heard in my life. What can we do to get people back to playing New Orleans music? <laughs> I told my daddy that he loved that. He said, see, he knows what's happening. Yeah, I was upset because there was nobody <laughs> playing Dixieland. There was nobody. That's right. You know, you had to, except for Preservation Hall, there was nothing yeah, going right. on. Yeah. It was. Right. No New Orleans music. <laughs> yeah. I saw you once on television. And you didn't have a horn in your hand. You were given a college lecture about music. And I was I was doing something else. I just sort of saw it as I was passing by TV. And I sat down and listened to the whole thing. And I thought it, it's relatively rare for a person to be gifted at anything. Be a great golfer. Be a great track star. Be a great anything who is also a profoundly great teacher of it. And uh, the thing that is, to me, has been greatest about jazz at the Lincoln Center over all these years is all those young people you've brought in there, all of them you've taught. Many of them I had the pleasure to hear play from time to time. Where'd you get that? And how can we value that more? Well, I appreciate your overassessment of my abilities, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but I, it's all my daddy's stuff, you know. I, I mean, I just, he was a great teacher, and I just was always around him, seeing him and the way he would teach. And then also his experience for me, I've been teaching since I did my first class in East St. Louis when I was 18 for high school students. I was on the road playing with Art Blakey. And I think just having that good example of my father and the many great teachers I've had, and working with Jazz at Lincoln Center, we have an education department and 12 education programs, and we get great students, and they also teach. So, you know, I just think that uh, it's just there, there are many fantastic teachers uh, across 
the United States and the world. And they do their work every day with, with Noah Hoopla. And just to be in that lineage and in that line and to have respect and, and to have a veneration for information and for education and for knowledge, a democracy has to have that. Because as, as we lose our relationship with the process of learning things, we're going to be more and more susceptible to the cheapest forms of populism as we are in music. If you looked at the American Music Awards, <laughs> yeah, you have to laugh at some of this stuff, man. <laughs> so much of it is trash, but that's where we are. And for us to reform it, we've got to start with a baseline of education and, and a belief in, in knowing. And I think uh, I, I'm, I come from the blues tradition. And in that tradition, we, we always believe we're believers. And, and, and I, I always want people to know that your belief is in action. With trumpet playing, I always teach, when you take a breath, everything that's in that breath is what's going to come out of your sound. It doesn't cost you anything to take a breath. But when you take that breath, fill that breath with the most meaningful things that you want to play, and then it will come out. And a thought is an action. So I want us to deal with our thought. I got believe in you. I believe in this process. I believe in people. I believe that we can get from point A to point B to point C and that we will not descend into chaos and killing each other because we, it would have been easy for us to do that before now and we have not done it. So I don't need the evidence to believe in that. I am going to be the evidence of it. And that way we're all doing all we can to make uh, the life that we live better. Maybe it begins by teaching people to take a deep breath. Hey, a deep breath full of something meaningful. Okay. You know, when I was uh, when I was a boy, I was close, and I was in the school band. I used to go to this clinic, and we had a high school band director in Arkansas who played first trumpet in John Philip Sousa's last band. <laughs> oh, I love that. And he was a native of Arkansas. He just happened to be here. Oh, that's and great. And he said, if you can learn when to breathe and how to control your breath, you will control your mind, you will control your heart, <laughs> yep. you will build a life. And he would start these teaching scenes by taking his trumpet and playing what seemed forever. He could hold his breath twice as long as any of us mm. and maintain the clarity and purity of the note. And I think that... That's the legacy that you have given to many of us. We listen to you. We love to hear you play. We love to hear you talk. But you touch our hearts and our minds and give us a chance to learn in harmony and creativity. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. President. It's been an honor speaking with you. Let me just close this one thing out. We're talking now, and you're giving us knowledge about something as spiritual as breath from an everyday teacher. And that's what, where the belief and the hope comes from. And you've been the president of the United States of America. And that consciousness is in you. And that's how, that's how close we are in the world. So thank you for allowing me to join you always with the deepest love and respect. Thank you. Thank you, Wenton. Yes, sir. Bless you and thanks. Yes, sir.
Why Am I Telling You This is a production of iHeartRadio, the Clinton Foundation, and At Will Media. Our executive producers are Craig Manassian and Will Malnati. Our production team includes Mitch Bluestein, Jameson Katsufis, Tom Galton, Sarah Horowitz, and Jake Young, with production support from Tyler Scott and Latavia Young. Original music by Watt White. Special thanks to John Sykes, Tina Flanoy, John Davidson, Angel Urena, Corey Gansley, Oscar Flores, Kevin Thurm, and all our dedicated staff and partners at the Clinton Foundation. If you have an idea or suggestion for the show, we'd love to hear from you. So please visit clintonfoundation.org slash podcast to share your thoughts with us. If you like the show, tell someone else about it. You can subscribe to Why Am I Telling You This on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. By listening to this podcast, you're helping support the work of the Clinton Foundation. So thank you. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.